Hello, and welcome to the Recovery Matters podcast from CCAR, the podcast where putting recovery first is always the goal. Here we present interviews, discussions, stories, and speeches to cultivate the understanding and acceptance of the power, hope, and healing of recovery from alcohol and other addictions. Here are your hosts, Phil and Sandy Valentine. What you do? What happened to your hair today? <laughs> you know, I've been asking God for patience for 30 years now, and he's provided a lot of patience, but not enough to support your usage of my patience. Hi, Phil. <laughs> Hello, say? Sandy. It's nice to see you. <laughs> yeah, long time no see. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited today with our guest because it's taking me back. I've been thinking a lot about the last three and a half years since I, actually it's been four years since I left my corporate career, but three and a half years since I started working in the recovery community. And one of the early experiences was co-facilitating the Recovery Coach Academy with you. And our guest today was in that group. Yeah, before we get to the guest, though, Uh-oh. what did you think about co-facilitating with me? You are very dramatic. Yes. And I am not. I try to, I think I have more of an invitational, warm style, trying to get to know people. I don't really perform. So trying to find my zone around someone like you who performs and can do unexpected things in the middle of a training um, took a little bit of time, but overall, I enjoyed it. I know you're prone to exaggeration, thinking that I was whispering in your ear every time you stood stood up. So I would stand up and begin to like gather the group, and I was trying to gather my thoughts. It was my first time. I had this curriculum and this script, and you'd be behind me going, "You're losing them. You're I losing don't them. remember that you're losing the that class way at all. And it was just one time, and it wasn't the first time you stood up. It was like day five. I might have mentioned that or three or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you had your pattern and you had you were really synchronized with my predecessor, Art Woodard, who you love teaching with. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Rashad, oh. what do you remember about that training? I remember this. No. This exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I said before we started, there's the same like friendly banter, the love banter that I have at home with my girl as well. So no, I remember that fondly. I I kinda like can think back and See where you might have, may have been whispering at her <laughs> to sit down or something. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, no, it, it was it was a great experience. So introduce yourself. All right, uh, my name is Rashad Walser. Um, from New Britain. I am a person in long term recovery with over four years in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at myself as a recovery and fitness influencer. Um, I'm an author. I'm now an actor and model. Good father, I'd say. Uh, a lot of people would say, great, I don't want to give myself a big pat on the back like that. But I think I'm doing a lot better than I was before. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess I'm just an artist now on the come up, trying to uh, share my message of recovery. And it kind of began with, with you guys in that class. It was That was my first like formal education besides being in rehab multiple times over. Well, how did you get in that class? So I had just gotten clean. This mm-hmm. is my last rehab I had gotten out of. And um, I was in there with uh one of the counselors there i forgot his name but he had mentioned to me about ccar and um they had a recovery uh coach program then i was planning my life you know and in rehab and get ready to get out what am i gonna do with my life so i was like uh i remember the first few rehabs i've gone to 
I wanted to be one of those guys in, in, at the rehab, you know, helping other people and um, clean and living a regular life and, you know, helping people in the community. So when I heard that class was available and people were actually hiring people with that certificate, I was like, okay, that could be my way into this recovery thing. And um, the guy had connected me with Geraldo, right? Yeah. At the um, West Hartford, I mean, um, Hartford location. From there, I, I started volunteering. I was going on uh, the road with Tyrone when he was doing a rush. I don't know if he still does now, but um, he does. I was going to Rushford with him in Blue yeah. Hills and speaking. And I've been at both of those programs before. So it was like, it was like great. Like it was my first start jumping in. And it was like, I'm all immediately going to places I've been before. And it was just, uh, it was very uh, eye-opening to this whole recovery experience. And um, I was volunteering in order to get the money raised to join the program. And then mm -hmm. I, a scholarship popped up and I applied for it. And I wrote my submission and I got the scholarship. And then I was in there with you guys. That's yeah. awesome. Um, we're going to do what we usually do on this podcast. What's your earliest childhood memory? And where were you born? Earliest childhood memory, like yeah. in general? Yeah. Um, I was born in New Britain. Mm -hmm. uh, in Britain General Hospital. <laughs> My earliest memory would probably be, be it's all right. So people don't believe me when I say this, but I do remember it. And I had this conversation with my mom. <laughs> um, I was a baby in the crib. Uh, I remember looking out my crib bars into the t watching TV across from my crib. And it, it's that small of a memory. But I remember one day when I was like 12 years old, I asked my mom, like, did I have a TV in front of my crib when I was a baby or something? And she's like, yeah. She, and she described the room. And I was like, wow, remember that? And she's like, boy, stop lying. Like, <laughs> what, like, how else would I know that? Like, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, what I did was I asked her. I'm like, did I have a, a TV across my crib? Was my crib white? And did I have this in the room and this? And she was like, how do you know that? And I was like, well, I remember it. She's like, stop lying. Who told you that? I'm like, no. I. It just came to me. I was just sitting there one day and it just popped mm -hmm. in my head like, oh. I was a baby then. So, yeah, that was my earliest memory. But wow. I, have, I have a really good memory. Yeah, you Long do. Term. Mm -hmm. What were you like as a child? ADHD. Really? <laughs> Never diagnosed, but uh, I was that hyper energetic, uh, attention seeking child. And then it kind of uh, it got a lot more intense when my father left when I was young. Because mm -hmm. it was like abandonment issues and stuff. So I just needed attention from whoever I can get it from. How so, old was that? Yeah. yeah. Um, I was five years old, or I was four actually, and um, yeah, the house got raided, and he was a drug dealer, so that's part of my story too. But yeah, well, tell us the story. Yeah, so um, <laughs> yeah, my father's from Hartford, my mom's from New Britain, and uh, they got together late '80s, and um, my father was a big drug dealer, and as I found out as I got older, he um, when the house got raided and he got sent to jail, it, um, he was. He had like a RICO charge. It was a racketeering wow. and everything like that. So there's a bunch of people who got locked up because of that uh, sting operation. And um, I was a child casualty of that. Um, growing up, my father, like I said, he was a drug dealer. So he we had like a lot of parties and stuff at the house. And I didn't know then, but now I know that it was a bunch of his people he was selling to. And they would like do coke in the bathroom. And they were gambling money and drinking and doing all this stuff. And that was kind of like my first taste of alcohol. So I'm alcoholic if I didn't say already. <laughs> but um, so I like I would walk, walk around the tables and there's beer on the table. I take a few sips of the beer here and there. My dad think it's funny to show his friends like, yo, look at, you know, drink beer. And then he got arrested. Like I said, got out of jail. Um, He moved to California. So I would go visit him every summer. And that summer at eight years old was my first summer visiting him. And uh, he got me drunk. Like 
like wasted drunk. Like uh, he poured a glass of honey, put some Pepsi in it, and let me get drunk. And that was like where my craving started for for the alcohol. And every year that I went to go visit him after that, we got drunk together. He'd go to the store. Hey, you want a beer? And I'm like, yeah, of course. Like I'm eight, nine, ten years old, and my dad's offering me a beer. I'm not gonna say no, you know. So that was. I kind of had like no chance. Uh, I was like introduced mm-hmm. really early and I already had that predisposition because I got addicts and alcoholics in my family. So it was just like, that was just like the perfect storm of destroying me. You know? Did your mom know that was happening when you went? No, she didn't. And I told her later on in life that mm-hmm. that, that had happened and she was like really pissed off, you know, because she didn't know. And like mm-hmm. her son was really like being abused. Like that's child abuse, you yeah. know? And, what year were you born? 90. 90. Yep. I know. We're for old honey. <laughs> um yeah, 90. So when did you have siblings, your first child? I had my first child in 94. I know that. I was just <laughs> <laughs> Siblings? Yeah, you have siblings. Uh yeah, so um along with my father being a drug dealer, he uh donated a lot. Procreated? Of, yeah, he did that a lot, mm-hmm. I guess. So um I have Five brothers and three sisters. My father has eight kids. My mother has three, two from my dad and one from another. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty big family. So did um, your other sibling with your dad go with you on these trips to California? He did. All right. So um, he went to, he didn't come to the first one with me mm-hmm. when I was eight, but all the ones after that he came with. And um, I guess I kind of like protected him because he never He's got younger. That. Yeah, he's younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, four and a half years younger. Wow. Yep. So you kept him out of all that. Yeah, I, I guess he had the child that he needed to do that with. So he, I guess he didn't want to get too. So I don't know. You're you're relaying all these experiences from your lens of being in recovery for a while. Being what are you? Thirty one, thirty two now. Thirty one. Thirty one, and you seem to have some peace and perspective. But how would you describe your emotions and your feelings as a kid going through that? Was it normal would you just accept it did you i mean how did you view your father with a lot of resent really and and i missed a lot of things in my life as a young man Mm -hmm. you know the where i grew up raised me the the boys in the projects taught me how to get girls taught me how to play sports taught me how to do everything that a father's supposed to teach you how to do you know Mm -hmm. and um i had a lot of resentment I couldn't play sports when I was younger, really, because I had nobody to take me. My mom was a single mom. She worked second shift. My grandmother watched us. She wouldn't take me to football practices. And, um, like, even now, I still have some resentments towards that. Like, yeah. because, like, I know what kind of talent I probably could have been if I actually had the opportunity to do so. Yeah. I accept what is now, you know. Growing up through that, yeah, I was I was kind of miserable. So I acted out a lot to try to get attention in other ways. And that was the drinking and the smoking weed and the, the drugs that came after that in my 20s and stuff like that. Did you get in trouble when you're in, in, a teenager? All right. So unfortunately, I'm still kind of proud that I've never gotten caught <laughs> doing a lot of the things that I did. Like it's it's gotten to points where I'm in a fight with somebody and they get tased instead mm-hmm. of me and I get to run. Mm-hmm. Like that's how close I've been to getting arrested a lot of times but i've done so many bad things unfortunately and i'm glad i've never gotten caught and i'm sorry to everybody that i've wronged doing the things that i did mm-hmm. but um yeah i mean I, I wasn't holding cell one time i got pulled over three times maybe four times while like really drunk and got away somehow talked my way out of it i don't know what it was but i, I 
But it all came crashing when I flipped my car, and there's no running from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so tell us about that story. Yeah, so, um, yeah, through high school, I was a social butterfly, popular, and uh, I mm-hmm. indulged in the weed and, and the gang stuff, fighting and girls and all this stuff, and I took all the focus off of school. After that, I started drinking. Very, I was already drinking heavily through high school, and then after high school, it got horrible, and... um. I went to, I mean, I ruined two relationships with both my kids' mothers. I didn't know that I was even an alcoholic at that time. I was just like, you know, going through emotions. I'm 20, 21, 22. I get to drink. I'm an adult. I get to do whatever I want, you know. I was actually working at New Britain General Hospital. And I was developing a problem. I was actually, it started because I started working third shift, I remember. And on that third shift, one of my friends had gotten murdered a night that I was working third shift. And I was supposed to bring his body down to the morgue. And I, and like from that week on, like I started drinking every single hour on the hour for um maybe like two, a week and maybe two weeks, you know? And then it just, I couldn't stop. So then I was working third shift. I would wake up, I would come out, get out of work, bring my son to school, go get something to drink, take a nap, wake up, do whatever I gotta do while drinking, drink some more before I went to sleep to take a nap to get ready to go over to third shift. And then go to third shift and just try to coast it out without getting sick. But I didn't even know I was withdrawn then. It was just like, I get sick. And then I moved back to second shift because they canceled third. And then that's when the time started conflicting with my drinking. And I started realizing I'm getting sick. And I started throwing up a lot at work. And I didn't know what was going on. Then one night I was throwing up blood. And um, I had to stay at the hospital for a few days. And... I remember I was like shaking and the nurse kept asking me if I'm okay. I'm like, I don't know what's going on with me. I'm shaking. I can't sleep. I'm itching. And she's like, um, how much do you drink? And I was like, like every day. She's like, you have more draws, honey. I'm like, what the hell are withdrawals? I didn't know at the time, you know? Mm-hmm. And she's like, you're an alcoholic. And I was like, my heart just dropped because I'm like my grandfather, my cousins. Like, it's just like, now it's me. Like, now I'm in this. So after that, it, I got fired from the hospital. It turned into four years of detoxes and rehab. It was my first year, 2014. I went to 12 detoxes in 10 months and then my first rehab. And then it was just like, uh, get a job, have four days off, stop at a detox for a few days to get back in, into shape and then get back on the grind. And um, Okay. Slow down. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's all right. I'm still, I'm still back with you know, just casually mentioning that your friend got murdered and you had to take the body to the morgue. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah. Well, so when my friend Michael, um, we call him Tone, when he got killed, yeah, I was supposed to bring him down to the to the morgue because I, uh, yeah, it was an orderly, it's patient um, transport, uh, and that's the department I worked in with, with your cameraman. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, I was supposed to bring him down. I remember actually getting the call that he had gotten murdered. It was crazy because I remember I was walking through the ER moments before that and I heard some ladies screaming like, no, my baby, that's my baby. And I was like, damn, I feel bad for whoever that is, you know? And then I got the call and I was like, no. So I, I, I mean, I walked down to the room, the trauma room where he was at and I seen him laying on the stretcher and I just broke down right there. And all the nurses came around like, oh, I'm sorry, do you know him? And I'm like, yeah, that's my friend. I was just with him last night. And, um. Yeah, that kind of that traumatized me. I know I got other friends who are traumatized more because they watched him get shot and, and killed. But like 
that was my piece of it, you know, and it, it, it affected me a lot. Yeah, I would say because you even mentioned that your drinking picked up afterwards. Oh, absolutely. And just to, to have the realization today that that was trauma and that did affect you is is pretty amazing, actually. Yeah. And, I mean, how close were you guys? We were... um. We were super close, like growing up. I knew him from middle school, and then um, he started dating my, one of my cousins, and we got close. We'd, I'd leave work third shift, and they'll come pick me up, and we'll go like smoke weed and just hang out and stuff like that. But um, towards the end of his life, he started hanging with my best friends like on a regular basis. So I was with them all the time, and like the night before he got killed, I remember I was all hanging out and driving. We were in two different cars and they're hanging out the drop top and we're all like having fun, drinking. And it was just young, dumb, crazy stuff. So what did they get murdered over? Just honestly, being drunk. Like it was a situation that happened because everybody was drunk and people said things that they weren't supposed to say. Somebody walked by at a wrong time and then they started arguing and then they went and got their parents and then the parents came out with a gun and then I guess somebody else had a gun and it was just like still I, unclear to this point. I think I remember that. It was on South Main Street in, in New Britain. Yeah. Uh, 2011. Wow. wow. Yep. And then we're talking about how your alcoholism, you said 12 detoxes in 10 months. Did 10 months. I get that right? Yeah. And and what was your reception when you went to detoxes and things like that? It's funny. The first time I got out of the first detox, yeah, I was like, I just went to rehab. I'm good. Like You know I can conquer the world now. And then, uh, well, like three days later, I was back at the bottom. So I was like, okay, what the hell's going on? I don't know how to, what I'm doing with this. How much were you drinking and how did you support the habit? I was drinking at my worst a handle a day. What's a, a handle? A handle, a <laughs> bottle like this. I don't know how many. With a handle on it? That's why they call it that? Yep. yep. So, just, yeah. No, I'm old. It's like a half gallon. Yeah. Probably a little more, yeah. A handle of what? Vodka. Yeah. Whatever I can get, and then it got to whatever was cheapest, you know? And you're in your, you're just 20, 20 22, 23? 20, it got, it got the worst at 23. Wow. Yeah. Did they start to know you were coming and know you by your first name when you walked in the door? Did you? Yeah. So, so what I did was the first two was uh, CVH, yeah, uh, Mirror Hall, and then I started getting embarrassed. So then I went over to do a different one. Yeah, yeah. So then I went over to Bristol Barnes, and then I got to started getting embarrassed because the orderly started remembering me. Hey, what's up, man? Rashad, how you doing? I'm like, oh no, nah, this isn't what I need to be doing. Absolutely. And then it was ICRC, and then it was, let me try to get further away, MCCA, and then, you know, so it was, yeah. So I want to talk about that a little bit, because I had a student recently that um, had been trying to do moderation approach to recovery, wasn't working out, saw some of the fellow students doing abstinence-based and how they were really growing and learning and evolving, and so he went to detox for five days, and mm-hmm. he said all that he got was Ativan. And then they let him go, you know, once he was past the danger point with the withdrawal. Mm-hmm. And so I just wonder what, do you have any recollections of your actual experience in there? And what was, was there any bridge or attempt to get you connected with recovery when you left? Um, Kind of don't remember. Like I said, a lot of people that asked me about things that time, I'm like, I was probably drunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, even if it was, I wasn't open to it at that time. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready. Like I was not anywhere close to being ready. I thought I was just trying to get the short fix, you know? Yeah. 
But I mean, I'm pretty sure the counselors recommended me to go to 30 day programs and stuff like that. But for the first few years, I was or the first year, I was really against it because I thought I don't know. I didn't know. I thought I was going to miss the world and there was nothing going on, you know. Mm-hmm. So hmm. what happened after the 12th, 10th time? Mm-hmm. The 12th time. Uh, 12th time. Yeah. And 12th then, time. I, then I went to a rehab. I went to Blue. I went to uh, ICRC or ADRC back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, 30 days, I got out of there. I signed up for college. There's so much ambition to be a counselor. Uh, but I wasn't, you know, again, I wasn't ready. And I, I actually went through that first semester and uh, got a 3.7 GPA. And But I was drunk the whole time. And when it was time to sign up for the next semester, I went to two classes and then withdrawed. And Where'd you go? Start drinking again. Capital. Okay. Right here in, yeah. in Hartford. And um, yeah, so then I went on like another few years of drinking and in and out of detoxes. I didn't do 12 and 10 again, but uh, it was like two a year and then maybe a rehab here and there. I started working at group homes because although I was still messing up, the first time I went to detox, I knew that I wanted to work in this field. So mm-hmm. I was like, what can I do in order to better my chances when I finally do get clean? I don't know when I'm going to get clean, but I know if I do, I'm going to do something, you know? So I started working at group homes to get behavioral health experience. I became a behavior tech, working at middle schools. And um, I mean, although I was really messed up throughout that time, I, w- I would drink all night, wake up in the morning, take a Xanax to go through half of the day of work, and then go on my lunch break and get a few nips and go back to school and be working, you know, and partially intoxicated. And then get out and um, start drinking and realize that I have Xanax. So I'm like, okay, so tomorrow morning I'll be fine, you know? And then I got addicted to Xanax through through that physically. And um, that's when it started getting horrible. I mean, my mom would wake me up in the middle of the night because I stopped breathing and she's scared. I disappeared for a week, not even knowing what I was doing because I'm on Xanax and then put you in blackouts and you just disappear into life. It's like crazy. How'd you get Xanax? Um, The streets. Yeah, the streets, uh, just people, everybody has Klonopin or Xanax or stuff like that. I mean, now it's a lot more dangerous because it's all pressed and just fentanyl and everything is ridiculous. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I got it from the streets a lot. And that's actually how I got introduced to heroin because I was doing Xanax and the, my dealer would be like, yo, I don't have Xanax today, but I got some dope. Do you want it? Like, I guess I, I need something because I feel crazy, you know? Yeah, so it, it was that for a few years. Detoxes, rehabs, work, losing jobs, find another one until uh, February 3rd, 2018, the day before my Eagles won the Super Bowl. I flipped my car. Could have been completely preventable. I remember getting out of work from the school that day. It was Super Bowl weekend. My Eagles are in the Super Bowl. So I'm like, let's go. I'm getting ready to celebrate, you know? And I got home. I had just stopped at the package store. I had a pint and I was going to just sit in the, in the house and where my room was my mom's living room at that time. Not to mention I was homeless for four years from 2014 to 2018. And um, so I was on my mom's couch and I was getting ready to just spend a the night there. And then my brother comes downstairs, my younger brother. And he's like, um, yo, everybody's at the park. You want to go hang out up there? I'm like, yeah, because I know there's going to be alcohol and cocaine up there. So I'm going to go and save my bottle mm-hmm. for later so I can go enjoy myself. And it turned into me getting so drunk and so high on coke that somebody suggested let's go to bristol there's a party out there and i said all right let's go because i'm drunk and you know i'm not thinking and then next thing i know i wake up from a blackout and i'm in my passenger seat and there's a girl in my driver's seat my brother's in the back and i'm like what the hell's going on the girl walks into the gas station 
My brother's like, oh, you got a designated driver. We're out here in Bristol. I'm like, what? Said, who is that? Oh, some girl I know from school. I'm like, nah. Hopped in my driver's seat. And as soon as I put his car in reverse, my brother jumped out the back seat. And um, yeah, he probably saved his life doing that. I can guarantee he did because he was in the back, no seatbelt. And um, so I pulled off. And this is in Bristol, right? The Cumberland Farms. I pulled out. And I'm going straight down, what is it, 72? Toward mm-hmm. New Britain. And that last light. Where there's now a guardrail, there was a cement median. And if you, I don't know if you remember, if you've been around there four years ago, but they had cones and there's a cement median at that at that time. I smashed the cement median, hit, smashed into it 40, 80 miles per hour. Flip my eighty. Car, flip my car forward, like so when it flipped, it flipped forward. It didn't roll on the side. It just, whoosh. and I um had my seatbelt on in the middle of a blackout. It saved my life. What were your injuries? Concussion, bruising, whiplash, and I had a gash in my on my forehead. I mean, my head from the hit my head on the side of the um car, like with the door. It's unbelievable. Yeah. How lucky you were. And I didn't hit anybody. I just almost killed myself. That was it. I mean, like thank God, really, because I don't know what I would have done. If... What kind of car were you driving eighty miles an hour? I had an 07 Camry. Oh, okay. And so you seem to be that's a turning point. So what happened after that? I tried to learn my lesson. I really didn't. <laughs> and the next day was the Super Bowl. So, like, I was super injured watching the Super Bowl. I told myself I didn't want to drink, but I still had some cocaine left over from the night before. So I was doing that. I don't think anybody in the house knew, but I was doing that for the Super Bowl. And uh, we won. And I went on a month-long binge because I was celebrating the Super Bowl, you know. And I didn't have work because I didn't have a car to get to work. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, whatever money I had left over from working... Was doing all the alcohol and drugs, and by the end of that month, I was just like done. I would get drunk to the point where my brain wouldn't send signals to my legs, so I couldn't move my legs. And it's not like when you're drunk and you can't walk. It was like I couldn't move my legs, like at all. Two of my cousins came over, basically gave me an intervention. They sat down, said you need to go get treatment. I said I know. It's like let's go. They're like today. I was like no tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, we got four pints for that night. I drank. Went to treatment and um, yeah, I, I went to my first, that was my first 90 day program because I was always reluctant to go to a 90 day program because I was going to miss so much being homeless alcoholic, you know, mm-hmm. what am I going to miss out there? That's where it, it all started. And then after I left there, I met you guys as your recovery coach mm-hmm. course. And ever since then, I've just been growing. So what changed for you? Since? Or, yeah. or Yeah. Man. Ah. Uh, so since leaving rehab, I got my recovery coach certificate. I worked in rehab. Uh, I mean, I worked in recovery for a while now. It's been like three years that I've been working in recovery. I was at Lebanon Pines for a while, which is the place I went to to save my life. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I was just grateful for that. It was really awesome. I work at Feral Treatment Center now in New Britain. I published my book. I started acting. I started modeling. I uh, Where are you doing that? Uh, acting and modeling. Yeah. Um. So, a friend from New Britain. She uh, she's doing music, and mm-hmm. she wanted to shoot her like debut video, and she's like kind of blowing up out there. And uh, she asked me to be like the main person, the lead in her video, and I was like, oh sure, yeah, I'd love to do that. And I got on there, and she only asked because she seen like my physique on Instagram and everything mm-hmm. like that. And I wouldn't have this if I wasn't clean. So it's like recovery led to all of this. But mm-hmm. so I went on the set for her video. The producer asked me to be on her, uh, like her cast for 
her production company or whatever she has. She wanted me to be a model slash actor. I was like, I've never acted before. She's like, it's okay. You can still do it. I'm like, okay. Uh, I just signed on. Uh, and then she put me onto a website uh, where it's like an Indeed for actors. And I mm-hmm. started, started applying for things. And since I've done two commercials, uh, an online ad, I just wrapped up um, being on a Hallmark movie. He's looking at me because that's more my zone than his. Yeah. And like my mom too. Like that's the only reason I knew the act the actress that was there. I walked on set. I was like, that's the lady from my mom's movies. Uh-huh. And then now I just like you know, I share my message as much as I can. Uh, I connect with people on a regular basis around the country. People reach out to me for advice or for help and regardless of what it is, if it's fitness or, or recovery or nutrition or just lifestyle, because my my biggest message in this is uh I didn't I don't really I don't focus on not using drugs and alcohol. I just focus on growth and growing and being a better person and that entails that. What's um relationship like with your kids and their moms? Compared to how it was? Yeah. It's amazing. So my son's mother was a big advocate for me throughout everything. Everybody kinda wanted to throw me by the wayside and she actually stuck by me even though we weren't together. Mm-hmm. And then when I got out of my out of that last rehab, I actually lived with her for a year wow. before I got back on my feet. So she really helped me. A lot. My daughter's mother, I had a lot of resentment towards her because of the situation with my daughter living in Arizona now and everything. But once I was able to just take responsibility for my role and everything, everything that I've done in my life and everything that's happened to me, I was able to forgive her and forgive myself for everything that happened. And we're on good terms. I mean, we're very cordial. We talk on a regular basis about my daughter and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I'm actually going to pick her up next month in Arizona. So that's that that's amazing like i never thought that i'd be able to, i never thought that any of my kids mothers would trust me to have my kids again you know yeah and now i get to keep my daughter for months at a time it's 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 real nice and i have to ask before i let phil ask you a question what did your brother say after that accident that he had followed this instinct to dive out of the car you know it's not funny as it is he walked into the hospital and looked me right in my eyes and smiled like you idiot. Mm-hmm. And I smiled back and I was in a bad mental space at that time. So I remember one of the nurses came over and was like, you know, that's not funny. You could have killed somebody drinking and driving. And I like got pissed at her, but she was right. But it was just like, the smile was like a nervous smile, you know, like you almost just killed yourself and you could have killed me, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the relationship like with your parents now? All right. Oh, my parents. Would you ask about my kids first too? Um, she did, yeah. Yeah, all right. So the oh, yeah. relationship with my kids is amazing. Like, mm-hmm. my son, he's just like me. Uh, he's <laughs> playing sports. He's sarcastic, just like me. <laughs> and um, it's just amazing watching him grow into a man. Like I said, he's 11, and now he's starting to – he's getting ready for middle school. And, mm-hmm. and it's crazy to think that he's that old already because it feels like just yesterday I was in sixth grade and now this. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter, she is amazing. She's goofy she acts again just like my my son she acts just like me um mm-hmm. and and they're very proud of me especially mm-hmm. um my son because he's seen the worst of it like my daughter was a baby but my son would be at the house when i'd come home and daddy come play with me and i'm like oh just give me a few minutes and then i fall asleep on the couch and then i wake up and he's like daddy come play with me i'm like oh give, just give me a few minutes i go to the store and go get a bottle mm-hmm. and then come back and then daddy play with me a few minutes and i fall asleep and then i wake up and he's gone so um, I had to, I explained that to him. I explained everything to him after, I, I think after a year clean. And I was like, you know, daddy was real bad. He was drinking a lot. He was doing drugs. And 
I gave him the layout and mm-hmm. he understood. And now, like, he's so proud of me to to the point where um, he's in D.A.R.E. right now. He's in a D.A.R.E. program. And uh, he came home from school and told his mom. He's like, Mom, I'm starting D.A.R.E. This, this week. And she's like, oh, that's nice. He said, I don't need D.A.R.E. I got my dad. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. But then two days later, he's crying in class because they're telling him about the statistics and, mm-hmm. and how lucky basically I am to be alive. He's like, he went home crying like, Mom, there's only like less than one percent people who actually make it, and he's just like, wow, like he's just so grateful. And my daughter goes to school, and she's like, oh, my dad's famous. He's in movies, and he's an author, and like her whole class wants to meet me now. It's it's just well, that's cool. Yeah, I adore it. And talk to me about your dad and your mom. My dad and my mom. All right, so my mom, she's always been my, she's always had my back throughout everything. Her and my grandmother are the ones that raised me really, mm-hmm. and um. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. It's, it's, I feel like recovery, you need a really strong support network. Mm-hmm. And me and my mom are real close. I, I stop over as much as I can. Mm-hmm. I got so much going on now, so it's, it's hard. But like, I talk to her, my son and her have a great relationship. And I'm having my niece over tomorrow night, so that's good. My dad, since being clean, I tried to reach out. Uh, I, I tried to love him again and, and, and have a build a relationship, but he just, I don't it's not I don't think it's that he doesn't want it. It's just like it's difficult for him to do it. Is he in California still? Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. Is with his four other kids out there. I actually got a brother the same age as my son, which is crazy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. takes a while to wrap your head around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know. Same age as, as me, so I guess. Yeah. But um like we're cordial. He comes out to visit sometimes. I go say hi and just spend some time with him because mm-hmm. I mean I never know what's gonna happen, but it, it's it it still kind of bothers me. But I feel like I'm working on my relationship with my kids so much that it that's all that matters, you know. If I could just use mm-hmm. that whatever anger or resentment I have and just focus that on my kids mm-hmm. and feel it at times because you don't get through it unless you feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'll be all right though. What's recovery look like for you today? Recovery is fitness and connection. I uh, I, I focus on my fitness, and, and I don't mean just physical fitness. It's a mental fitness. It's a spiritual fitness that I, I work mm-hmm. on. I meditate. I do my yoga. I, I eat well. I'm a vegetarian now, actually, because I read something about meat, and it turned me off, and I'm done. I'm done. Oh, that, was a, <laughs> that was a powerful article. That, that was it. Um, it's, it's actually a... 600 page book called uh, how not to die and it yeah I, I can't like it just bothers me but um <laughs> other than that yeah connection can i'm big on connection i have a support network of people i got like directors of programs and stuff that i talk to and people across the country in recovery who host podcasts mm-hmm. and other things like that that i talk to and um i built a, a really big sober family that like, i actually talk to them on a regular basis like they'll reach out to me mm-hmm. like hey rashad how's it how's it going sober friend well, i'm mm-hmm. proud of you and we just like hype each other up mm-hmm. yeah. and, and i do that with fitness too i got a group of people that we do a sweat check and it just started with me, one of me and my friends javon and uh now we got like hundreds of people across the country doing sweat check and tagging us in it and it's like i i, I just want to encourage people to do better all the time and even on facebook like people that i don't i never really talked to in high school or something i see them getting in the gym i comment on it yo keep going let's go let's go mm-hmm. like i said it doesn't have to just be recovery it's just i just like to see growth and i like to grow and i like to influence people to grow mm-hmm. and i did that even with my girlfriend brianna um she wasn't anywhere close to wanting to, to, to work out or do anything that i'm doing especially go vegan or vegetarian 
And through osmosis, her seeing how happy I am and how energetic I am and how enthusiastic I am about life, she just, by osmosis, just joined. And now she's, like, so much happier, <laughs> you know? So tell us about, were you going to this? Yes. So first, we're, we're how, do you, connected, you how do you pronounce the title of your book? Swigenerous. And it, it's it's a long, the definition is a long term for unique. Like two things or one thing that nobody can ever compare to or something like that. And mm -hmm. I really chose that because of my style of recovery. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not in a 12-step program, although I highly suggest it to anybody new in recovery because that's where my base started. Mm -hmm. But um, I do like a holistic, I don't want to say my own program because, you know, a lot of people are against that. But it's kind of what it is. It's unique. It's what it's what I do. It's, it's growth. It's just focusing on the growth and not focusing on, on the not doing the bad things, you know, just right. focus on the good, focus mm -hmm. on the time I spend with the people I love and the connections I have with people and the connection I have with the earth and the worldview that I have. And like I've since I've been clean, I've studied religions. I've studied like Buddhism and Christianity of the world. I've studied uh, sports nutrition just so I can know my body. And, you know, I'm just like I'm an open book and I'm just like ready to just keep soaking things in. So where can people get this book? You can get this book, Sugenerous, Year Two Recovery Memoir on Amazon, actually. It was the number one new release in substance abuse, May 2021 when it released, which I was really shocked, but I'm really uh, proud of. Mm -hmm. I didn't think that I was going to be. you bought a mansion on a hill with all your earnings from that? Of course. <laughs> of course. On an island. On a, on I a, on an island. island. <laughs> so thank you for traveling here in your helicopter to, uh, to do this podcast. No, no. It, it, it's actually selling pretty well, but... um. Like I said, like my message, like I, I just want to get my message out there. Like, mm -hmm. I, and, and I planned on this book not even selling for like the first three years because I figured the type of book it is, it'd go to a few programs and people would talk about it. And, oh, I read this book. I read this book and share it. And eventually it'll go on. But I didn't really do it for the financial benefit. I, I did it because it's something I said I was going to do when I was in recovery. And, yeah. And, and I knew that it would touch some people because there's a lot of people in the same circumstances that I was in. And they can relate with, with the book, you know, and I've done that. People reach out to me all the time, like, yo, I read your book and it's amazing. I had one guy reach out, like, I was drinking four pints a day and I stopped and I'm drinking one now and I'm trying to get off and my mom's so proud of me. And I'm like, I'm done. I, yeah. I, I did what I need to do. Yeah. That's it. So there's a lot of self-reflection that goes into writing a book. Yeah. Did, did you learn anything about yourself that was surprising or new? Yeah, that I still need to work on my emotions. And I still need to work on connection with my, my family because I, I still kind of take them for granted sometimes, you know. But uh, I it's it's funny because I, I tend to notice these things now in person when things happen. Like as soon as I say something to somebody, I'm like, you need to apologize to them for that. Or mm -hmm. you need to explain where you're coming from with that. Or you need like, mm -hmm. my hindsight is almost here now. Mm -hmm. It's like immediately when I do something wrong or I, I think the wrong way, I, I adjust it. Yeah. I think it's just habitual from doing it over and over. What's a uh, normal day look like for you? Normal work day is I wake up around 8 after going to sleep at 2 in the morning. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I bring my son to school. Yeah. I go to the gym, come home, have a protein shake, watch a little sports, some ESPN. I, have a, uh, I meditate for an hour, hour and a half, sometimes two hours. Wake up from the meditation slash nap and uh, go to work till 12. And the whole time I'm at work, I'm just, I'm working a rehab. So I'm, I'm talking with a bunch of my people, you know, and it doesn't feel like work. I go to work and I, I go to the rehab and it's like, 
Not that I'm one of them, but I am one of them. And, and I express that to them on a regular basis. I'm like, yo, I'm, the only difference between me and you is four years. That's it. Like, we're the same person. Like, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's not work. I go there and I, I hang with people like me. And I've been to so many rehabs. It is, it's like home, you know? It's, <laughs> it's my safe place. I feel secure there. Sounds like a good day. Yeah. It's a pretty good day. What are you really looking forward to? My daughter. Oh, wow. So 17th, I'll be going. May 17th, I'll be picking her up. And mm -hmm. I'll have her for the summer. And we're going to do some trips. I've been doing a lot of trips lately, which is another thing in recovery. I've just been all over the place. I'm going to try to take my kids down to the Smithsonian in New York and um, something else. I don't know. Just enjoy life with my, 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 my babies, you know? Mm -hmm. And my stepson. I have a stepson now, too. So it's it's interesting. I'm trying not to have another kid yet. <laughs> We well, think we figured that out. we figured out how that was happening, so we were able to stop after five. How I need to find out. Yeah, we'll talk offline. Well, I appreciate you sharing your story so much. What an inspiration! Thank you for having uh, me. Yeah, really appreciate it. Yeah, it's really fun to see after. Four gosh, years. yeah, almost four years. Four years. Mm -hmm. That'll be four years in October. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Recovery Matters Podcast. We hope that you have connected in some way with what you've heard. For more information, you can find us on the web at ccar.us. Like and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at ccar, the number four, recovery. And on Instagram at Recovery Matters Podcast. And you can use the hashtag RecoveryFirst to show support for our mission. Have questions, comments, feedback? Email us at podcast at ccar.us. Fire feeds fire. So if yours is burning right now, reach out and share it with someone.